Welcome to Here With Me, Maggie John, a podcast about life stories and lessons learned that asks the question, what got you to the place you find yourself in at this point in your life? Today's guest has written a new book that I feel was meant for this podcast. Her name is Jeannie Stevens, and she is the co-lead and founding pastor of Soul City Church in Chicago. And she's written a new book called What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present. Can I say that this book is essentially all the things I had dreamed this podcast would be and could be? A place for people to come and assess where they've been and where they are going. Jeannie does a great job of challenging us to be present in the situations we find ourselves in and find the truth we currently sit in. It is another really deep conversation. And Roxanne Francis is back for Black Girl Chat. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, we are joined by Jeannie Stevens. Welcome here, Jeannie. It's so great to have you. Thank you, Maggie. I am so grateful to be a part of your show and to meet you and have this conversation today. Yeah, you know, as I was saying to you just before we we got started here, I truly feel as I was reading your book, What's Here Now, that we were meant to meet because I feel like a lot of the things that you have said in your book and the messages you have preached just really align with the purpose and the vision and my heart for this podcast. So I feel like we're going to have a great conversation today. I, I couldn't agree more. I told you before we started, we're meant to be best friends. So yeah. we're both passionate about the present, the here and the now. And so I'm, yes. I am all in in this conversation with you right now. So I want to start off and I start off every podcast asking, where are you at this point? space that you're in right now, how would you describe the place in which you sit right yeah. now? Or even ask you the question, what's here now for you? Yeah. I, I love that that's how you start your podcast. And so much about this book is helping people locate themselves in the mm-hmm. present moment. And mm-hmm. for me, um, and we both love this metaphor, you know, that, that little red dot on the directory map, right. That essentially is the, you are here. Um, I always think about real estate agents that say location, location, location. And I feel like that should be a spiritual mantra because most of us don't know our actual location. And I could tell you where I physically am. Um, I am physically above my garage, which is this little, uh, you know, loft space where we record things. Um, but to tell you where I physically am is not to tell you where I am. And I think that's so often what the challenge is for so many of us, right? We're here, but not really here present, but not fully present. I, I think it's funny that teachers, you know, when they would do roll call, they used to ask, you know, they'd say our names, right? Like Maggie. And you would respond by saying here, present. Yeah. And I think every teacher would be like, uh, yeah, I know what it's like to have a classroom full of students that are not really here. And so I love this question that you start your podcast with. And it really mm. is the question of this book because I had to learn how to be present. Mm. And so the way that I answer that question, the mm-hmm. long way around to get yeah, to the yeah, answer yeah. of that is I really learn how to check in with three different intelligences. 
So my body intelligence, my heart intelligence, and my thought intelligence, right? So what's here in my body? Um, I, I try to pay attention to, you know, what are, what are some of the, the sensations that I feel in my body? Um, mm. You know, right now I would say checking in as I scan my body, there's a little bit of soreness in my lower back. I feel a little bit of tension mm. um, in my shoulders. Uh, my throat feels a little dry. Haven't had enough water today. So that's where I physically am. In my mm. heart space, I, I feel a combination of feelings. I feel excitement for this conversation, joy to meet a new friend, uh, to know that you're a person that values presence. Mm. I feel a lot of tenderness and sadness, uh, the state of our world mm. and um, the regular chaos and, and how so many of us are just longing for peace and it seems hard to find. So I feel the confliction in my heart space. And then my thoughts are, are filled with my daughter's graduating from eighth grade next oh, week. And so I'm thinking, I got to order some balloons. And yeah. I'm thinking, yeah. uh, you know, all, all the stuff for that. And how am I going to have two high schoolers? So my, my mind feels jumbled. You know, like when I think of the ticker tape of my mind, I'm like, is this really possible that I have two, two teenagers in my household? Um, so, so that is where I show up today with mm. my body, my heart, and my mind. Mm. And, and I find that when I do that practice, when I check in, you know, what are the sensations in my body, the feelings in my heart, and the thoughts in my mind, it's a way to draw me back to this now moment. Um, yeah. I, I do it with my kids a lot. I do it with my husband. I do it with close friends. Like, hey, what's here now? And lots of mm. times we can fill it with just lots of space and words and things, but we're not really practicing presence. And so those three questions really help me come back to this now moment. Yeah, there's just so much noise in the world yeah. that wants to distract us yes. from being just present with each other and yes. just taking that in. You know, recently I was looking at a, a photo of one of my boys, my I have two sons, and and he was, you know, probably five or something. And I thought, like, where did the time go? And I and I questioned myself, was I present then? Because mm -hmm. at that point, you know, you're just trying to survive. You know, you have two right. young kids. You're just like going, going, going. And uh, yeah, to challenge yourself to be fully there and fully yeah. present is actually quite hard to do, but necessary, I think, in order for us to actually be flourishing beings as it well. Is. It, yeah. It's so true, Maggie. You know, if you think about like the average lifespan of a person, right? Yeah. You know, you mentioned looking at that picture and I feel like pictures are often a great um, curriculum for us to kind of mm. look back on our life and go, okay, was I really there for that? Yes. But the average lifespan, you know, is about 80 years. And so if you, if you break all that down, right, you got 959 months on this planet, 4,171 weeks, you know, wow. 700,000 hours and 42, you know, million minutes. And, and, and when you think about all of that time, and then you think so many of us struggle to be here, mm -hmm. right, that, that mm -hmm. we're either rehashing the past, mm -hmm. and we're trying to change something that can't be changed, that's mm -hmm. already happened, or we're rehearsing the future. We're trying to control yes. something that we actually don't have any control over. And I think about that average lifespan and I think, oh gosh, I want it to be said of me. She was all the way here. 
Yeah. She was all the way here. She lived her one beautiful, you know, incredible, mundane, um, normal life. Yeah. And she was all the way here. Yeah. And when I was with her, I felt like I was seen. Yeah. Yeah. Because isn't that, isn't that so the case? Like when you're with somebody, you know, when they (laughs) are like picking up one of these and you're like, oh, you're not here anymore. Yeah. Like you, you, you just went somewhere else. And, and, you know, our phones are probably our biggest places to pull us out of presence, but Mm -hmm. I I think all of us do it in our thoughts. We do it in our emotions. We, We even like physically, you know, can kind of be with somebody, but not really with them. Yeah, absolutely. I want to read page 19, some of, uh, in your book, um, and then ask you where you felt you were at that point. Yeah. Um, my life felt like the opposite of the fantasy land my friend described. I felt drained and dull and unsure of the life I created, uh, was the life I wanted to keep living. On the outside, everything looked fine, but on the inside, I desperately wanted to know how do I live in the presence of God? You later on go on to say, who was missing was me. I began to get curious. If I was missing, then where was I? And you later on say, my soul felt like the junk drawer in my kitchen that I regularly try to ignore. Describe the genie back then. You hit a wall. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that, um, you know, psychologists talk about when we are feeling stress, Mm -hmm. we all have a tendency towards fight, flight, or freeze, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when we're feeling stress, overwhelmingness, um, maybe a recurrence of of past trauma, that we have this tendency towards fight, flight, or freeze. And I, I feel like a fourth F needs to be added. And that is the F of telling people we're fine when we're not really fine. And I had learned how to do that. I had learned how to try to, in some ways, Maggie, convince people, but I think it was also a convincing of myself, Mm -hmm. you know, that I was trying to convince myself Mm -hmm. everything's okay. Even though you feel dull, you feel overwhelmed, you feel dry on the inside, you're trying to lead all of these people towards a connected, full, abundant life. And yet the more you do the work of God, the more the work of God is deteriorating inside of you. And I think I had to wake up to the truth that it's okay to say, I'm not fine. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't feel okay on the inside. Um, and so much of what you just read in that little introduction, um, I think, you know, there's, there's portions of that, that being a leader, being mm-hmm. a, a public voice, somebody that's, you know, trying to direct and lead others, you know, there's, there's, that pressure that usually is put on yourself by yourself. Um, but also, you know, the exterior pressure of, of just being a leader and wanting to be able to offer an authenticity about who I am, but realizing, Oh gosh, if, if somebody were to open this up, it looks like the junk drawer in my kitchen. Right. And realizing that that's actually a much more hope filled and honest place to live. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the great work of Brene Brown mm-hmm. around vulnerability and, and so much of what she represents is that um, vulnerability is the courage to show up and to let yourself be seen. Yeah. And I really began to recognize that perhaps one of the greatest gifts I have to bring to any person is my full and authentic self mm-hmm. here in this present moment, not all dressed up and perfectly articulated with all the places that we're, you know, going to go, but just the honest and authentic, here's the true me. And I want you to know the authentic self um, and and where I show up in the world. And it's funny, learning how to locate myself in the present moment brought a lot of peace into Mm. my life. It brought a lot of um, contentedness. It, that pressure to have to know what to do started to eclipse with a sense of presence and realizing, mm, I actually may not need to know where we need to go. Yeah. All I need to know is how to help people be in the here and the now with what yeah. is, not not constantly looking at what was or all of the what ifs. And, and of course, there's wise planning and there's wise thoughtfulness about paying attention to patterns of the past, but but really helping people consent to the reality of, of life. You know, so much of spiritual formation is just consenting to reality and, yeah. and really being um, able to digest and name and notice and bring loving nurture to what is. You talk about in the book, just hitting this wall and calling your friend and saying, I just, I need a place to retreat to. I need a place to go. You've been working in ministry felt burnt out, which I think a lot of people can relate to. And, you know, you tell this beautiful story, Janie, about waking up in the morning and sitting in a chair in the middle of a field and just inviting God to be there and the intimacy and the kind of the exchange you had with God. Would you kind of describe that for our listeners and how much that impacted you just realizing you have to be present? Yeah. Yeah, I am so grateful. You know, I, I I called a friend and just said, I don't know what I need, but I need something. And, mm-hmm. and I remember her just saying, I'll take care of it, which is a really powerful thing to begin with, yeah. to name, I have some needs. I'm not even sure what those needs are. Would you be willing to help me? Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes people in ministry struggle to ask for help themselves, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to ask for support, and so that was a that was a big growth just for me to to name that to her and say I, I need some help, and and for her to go I think I know what you might need, and connected us with these friends, and and I remember waking up in this little cottage um, early in the morning and seeing these two chairs, you know, across the lawn, and there was a bunch of deer, and it felt like Narnia, right? It just felt like this picturesque, like, where am I? Um, This is amazing. And just that nudge of Holy Spirit saying, come and sit with me, come and be with me. And those two chairs just representing um, being in this now moment with God. Um, Yeah nowhere to go, nothing to prove, um, no conversation to be forced, but just the, the loving presence of God. And, you know, in, in the introduction on the book, I, I talk about, um, you know, I, I, I quote that there, there's this reality, and, and Richard Rohr said it very well, but he said, 
we cannot attain the presence of God because we're already in the presence of God. What's absent is awareness. And I think what those two chairs represented was the work of awareness. Hmm. It was the work of, God, I'm aware of your presence. I, I don't need to sing six worship songs to conjure your presence into this moment. You are always here. I'm the one that's not always here. And so bringing loving attention and awareness to coming into the presence of God, me coming into the presence of God, not, you know, wondering where are you, God? Because God is always here. God is always present. I'm the one that's so often missing from the present moment. And, um, you know, I, I can't even remember how many days we, we stayed at that little cottage, but each morning I just sat in that chair. And, and oftentimes, Maggie, there were um, impressions or, you know, just this nudge of, of presence from God. Oftentimes it was quiet. Mm. Oftentimes it was just, you know, the, the loving knowledge that God is here, mm-hmm. that God is with me and for me, and therefore nothing can be against me. Um Sometimes it was just the the nudge of um, the way that you are living your life has mm. an expiration date on it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, kind of the words of Jesus, if you want to gain your life, then you need to lose your life. Yeah. You know, if you want, if you want to gain the world, right. Yeah. Um, here's, here's how you're going to do it, but you're going to lose your soul in the process. And so in order to really gain a life that is of, deep connection to God, you have to lose this life that you've built. And, um, and I think sometimes leaders really struggle with, uh, surrender and letting go Mm -hmm. because they're really good at holding on and directing Mm -hmm. where we should go. Yep. Absolutely. At least that's true in my life. Well, maybe in mine, just a little too. (laughs) Yeah. I love what you said on page 21, keeping one foot in the past keeps us from the gift of the present. And, and a part of that, of being fully here, is letting go of things that we have carried, uh, you know, for, for years and years and years yeah. and continue to impact how we see ourselves mm-hmm. as well. And you talk about that often in, in your book about, you know, you, you allude to the story of your math teacher um, and how he treated you and how that just personified how you felt about yourself as an adult. Talk to me about the power of letting go of the past in order to fully be in the present. Yeah. I think I really discovered that there are some trends and some ways that we rehash the past that Mm -hmm. keep us with that idea of one foot in the past, not Mm -hmm. really living in the present moment. Um, And I think that they are not just specific to me. I think that they're specific to humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that whenever we find ourselves blaming in relationships, Mm -hmm. uh, which essentially is just like, I want to direct responsibility off of me onto somebody else, right? That's what blame is. I don't want to take personal responsibility. Shame, which that story about my math teacher comes out of that that chapter. And and shame is really just self-hatred at my expense. Um, grief, uh, the, the circulation of unprocessed grief, uh, from, from sorrow in the past that we continue to bring into the present. Um, and grief work is really critical and important, um, but it's meant to grow something in us. It's not meant to keep us 
at that loss, right? Um, bitterness is another one, holding on to a grudge uh, that eventually starts to have a hold on you. And then guilt, which is just the silent suffering of the mistakes we've made. And anytime, anytime one of those five areas shows up in our life, blame, shame, grief, bitterness, or guilt, it is literally like following breadcrumbs to the past. It, it is like following a path, going back to that red dot, right? It's as if we leave the present moment and we live one foot in the past. And, and I am an advocate. I, I believe that the past is a great place to learn from. It's a terrible place to live. Yes. Yeah. It is it is critical that we understand patterns from our past. It's critical that we understand why we do what we do, which is usually in our family of origin story. It's usually in our past behaviors. So I'm an advocate for all the counseling and all the therapy and, and yeah. all of the digging in the dirt of our stories. It's just that we can't live in our past yeah. stories. And so many of us you know, we lock ourselves up in the past and it's as if we throw away the key and we don't know how to get back to the present moment. And gosh, if there is anything that is going to be destructive on relationships, it's bringing a past you into a current relationship. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it is like, it's not going to work out well. It's not going to work out well because it's a past version of you fighting with a present relationship. And it almost always, uh, you know, causes tension inside of the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about shame as well. And um, page 44, you talk about the difference between guilt and shame. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. How, how, you know, you say that shame is uh, when given permission, it will always leave us isolated, condemned and believing we are unworthy of love. Yeah. What is the difference between guilt and shame? Because they almost sound the same. They do. You know, it's it's interesting because I almost feel like blame, guilt, and shame have mm-hmm. this almost like triplet relationship, right? Yeah. Because blame really wants to say to somebody else, you made a mistake. Yeah. You know, you're, you're the problem. You made a mistake. Guilt says, I made a mistake. And, and I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm so wrong and I'm so bad. I made this mistake and I can't ever get out from under it. Well, shame believes at the core of who I am, I am a mistake. Mm. And so there's, you know, the, the thing that is central to all three of them is a story of condemnation. Yeah. You know, grace has, is nowhere to be found in blame, guilt, or shame. Mm. It, it's all about condemnation and it is all about um, either you made a mistake, I made a mistake, or I am a mistake. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the circulating of that belief system over and over and over in the mind is going to keep you locked out of the present moment. Yeah. And if you show up into a conversation with, with somebody else and, you know, the, the, the loop that you are running in your thoughts are, I'm a mistake. I'm unworthy of love. Um, I, I, I'm unworthy of this person being in relationship with me. Mm-hmm. Well, that is going to radically direct how you interact with that person. You know, I tell the story in the shame chapter about um, 
a story with my math teacher in middle school and, and he was a lovely teacher and, and how hilarious that his name was Mr. Twos, right? <laughs> I mean, perfect name for a math teacher. And, um, I just wasn't getting algebra. I, I wasn't comprehending. And, and I remember him very clearly saying to me, I don't understand why you're not getting it. I, I explained this to you and he was not trying to shame me. He was not trying to say that, um, you know, I'm not smart, but I took that in Maggie and I put that story on loop from middle school all the way into adulthood. And that shame story stuck with me of, I must not be smart when it comes to complex things, you know, like spreadsheets and, you know, high difficult math I, I, I shouldn't go anywhere near it because I'm never going to be the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. Well, you can only imagine how that followed me through high school years, college years, leadership, right? Yeah. Starting to direct things, you know, and, and if I have a storyline in, in my mind that's circulating, that's filled with the shame of I'm not smart. And I'm bringing that into every one of, you know, these moments where I'm trying to lead people, but I don't believe something about myself. You better believe it's going to show up in, yeah. in how I am in my relationships. And so we have to learn how to pay attention to those loops of shame or blame or guilt um, in, our, in our lives and, and come back into the present moment. And, you know, and, and really it's, it's as simple as we have to notice it. You know, I think so many of us are not good noticers of ourselves. We just kind of live life and go through life and we don't really notice what's happening. So we need to become noticers of what's going on and we have to name it. Like I I really had to notice there's a theme here and the theme is you don't believe you're smart. Mm. And I have to name that as this is not true. And then after we notice it and we name it, we actually have to bring loving nurture to it because Mm -hmm. so many of us, what we want to do is we just want to condemn that part of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And actually what's needed is some real loving integration of that part of ourselves to just say, oh, that's just a story you believed about yourself. That's not true. Jesus doesn't believe that's true. It's not true. Complex math math is not your greatest gift and that's okay. Yeah. Right. And, and, and you are worthy of love and you are smart and, and you, to bring that into the present moment. And so, yeah, so that, that relationship you, between blame, guilt, and shame is, is yeah. powerful. You, you talk about, uh, trading condemnation for conviction, mm-hmm. examining your shame stories, yeah. practicing healthy noticing. How do you talk? to yourself about yourself, which I think is really powerful. Yes. Yes. And sharing your story. And I love that the power of sharing your story to say that it's no longer controlling me. The fact that you could share your story about Mr. Twos now, you know, shows that it no longer, it no longer controls you and that you have released that. That's important. It is really important. And, you know, whenever, um, you know, I have to walk through something that requires complex math in a board meeting, I now giggle about it. Like, don't you remember when you used to believe you were not smart, you know? And and it's almost like there's a 
a lightness and a playfulness about it instead of a, a condemnation about it. Mm. And the beauty of, of, of that in the body of Christ is I now lean on other people that are really, really good at things. You know, yeah. I used to get stuck in imposter syndrome, like, oh, well, I have, I have to know how to do this and I have to be the one that figures this all out. Well, I was just robbing other people of, of bringing the gifts that they have to bear to the body of Christ because I, I was playing out an imposter syndrome story. Yeah. Continually asking what's here now. Talk to me about grief. And, you know, you tell the story of losing your brother, Andy. Um, you know, I, I've walked with a couple of friends who have lost loved ones, even during the pandemic. Yeah. And, uh, and really, you know, grounding yourself. I, I think you challenge the reader to really ground yourself in thinking, yeah, what, what is here now? as you grieve the loss of somebody that you love so deeply. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been asked what was, you know, the hardest chapter to write. And Mm. I would say uh, the grief chapter was probably one of the most tender to write. I don't know if I would use the word hard, but it's, it's just so tender to write. Um, and to, to really walk through that loss story in, Mm. in my own life and, and hopefully, it is a gift and a blessing to the reader, you know, to identify themselves Mm -hmm. in their own stories of grief. And, you know, grief is an incredible soil where I have watched God over and over and over again, do powerful transformational work Mm. in people's lives. Mm. Powerful. The problem with grief is no one ever asks for it. You know, we never invite this transformation into our life. No one has ever prayed the prayer, Lord, I would like more grief in my life. (laughs) I don't think God has ever heard that prayer from a single one of us, right? Right. (laughs) And yet it is such faithful soil Mm -hmm. for growth, for transformation. Um, And I think that with grief, we really do have a choice. You know, so many just give in to grief. And they just kind of let it, um, you know, l- like a wave kind of lap up onto the, the shore of, of their heart and almost overtake them. And, and yeah. the grief, you know, and the loss, d- depending on what loss we're talking about, you know. Or it rush be, through it. Or, or rush, rush through it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, um, and it's almost as if some people end up um, not just burying a loved one or, or burying a job that they loved or burying a season of life, they end up burying themselves yeah. in the loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, that grief kind of overcomes them. But mm-hmm. I really, through, through the loss, very sudden loss of my brother, um, about a decade earlier, the loss of my dad, mm-hmm. and then just being in pastoral ministry, I've walked with so many people through yeah. loss. And so you know, sudden loss, um, really, really heart-wrenching loss from, from divorce to the loss of income, to the loss of purpose, to the loss of children, right? Um, the, the, the spectrum is wide when it comes to loss. But I think it's critical that we all recognize that every change is a loss yeah. and all loss changes us. And, yeah. and I tell even the story 
that um, I, I had to even recognize it. And they're two so different, two so different uh, in their losses. But like the loss of my brother is one kind of loss. And then I had to recognize leaving different seasons of parenting is a loss, mm, right? Yeah. Like even when my kids were little, they needed me in a way that now both of them being in high school, they don't need me yeah. that same way. Yeah. And, you know, it's critical that I recognize that change is a loss and that loss mm. is going to change me. And so I should do good, healthy grief work so that I can be available to the next season that God has mm. for me. Um, and that's how we go into grief. We let ourselves do the work of grief. Uh, in the recovery world, people talk about how the work works when you work it. And I think the same is true of grief work. Mm -hmm. It works mm -hmm. when you do the work. Yeah. Um, and um, grief really can grow something in us, something beautiful and powerful. But if, if we don't let it happen, um, it, it can grow something else in us that yeah. is um, really, really hard. And, and I, I imagine your listeners, um, I imagine you and I have seen people that have not done their grief work. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I have this um, kind of juxtaposition of what an ungrieved loss mm -hmm. grows in your mm -hmm. life, and then what a grieved loss grows in your life. And, you know, when we don't grieve our losses, we become chronic complainers, we usually develop a guarded heart. Um, resentment tends to grow. Lots of people isolate themselves um, and they repress their emotions. And, um, and I understand it. You know, there's that, that self-protection. I don't want to feel this pain again. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to take life into my hands and control it, essentially. But when we do the work of grief, we can actually develop a, a peaceful appreciation. And it, it's really interesting to talk about that because, you know, Maggie, if I, if I were the solo writer of my life, if I was, if I was the only author, right? Yeah. Uh, if I wasn't co-authoring the life of Jeannie Stevens with God, yeah. I'd put my dad and my brother right back here on the planet. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not the solo author. And... I will never know why um, those losses occurred. And so I had to make peace with that mystery. And I eventually had to make peace with the appreciation that fruit grew in my life because mm. of the loss of my dad and my brother. Mm. And that is um, a really, really... Um, powerful process to open yourself up so deeply to God that you can say, Lord, I would have chosen differently, but I'm going to trust that you're going to grow something in me. Yeah. And, um, and that can only be done in the present moment. Yeah. It can only be done in the present moment. It's opened my heart. It's helped me live from a different posture of contentment connection to God. It's given me a deeper connection to other people that walk through grief. Mm. You know, we have this prayer hall at our church and, um, after the service people, um, 
you know, go into the prayer hall to receive prayer every Sunday. And I, I, I think most people come to church for the after party in the prayer hall. Like that's what they're there for, really. Like I want to be prayed over by somebody. Um, And I I always say that's where the real stuff goes down each Sunday. But it's funny, every time I serve in our prayer hall, I almost almost always get uh, teamed up with somebody that's walking through grief. Mm. And it's random. You know, it's Mm. not like I, I say to the person that's helping usher people in, like, just send me the people that are right. walking through loss, right? <laughs> right. Um, but had I not walked through my own grief, I would not be able to hold loving space for anyone else walking through grief. So, um, so it's given me connection. It's helped me to name my emotions in ways that I probably didn't name them as well before this kind of loss. And And I think that grief is such a, a critical, critical um, path that we all learn how to walk. Because if there is one thing to be sure of in this life, we're going to all face loss. Mm -hmm. It's like guaranteed. Yeah. And Jeannie, how do you you walk that out every day? I'm thinking like, what's here now? Asking yourself that question in every, you know, situation you find yourself in. How are, how do you do that? And how do you recommend we do that to fully be present? Yeah. Because I just think, you know, the pandemic was so hard, <laughs> was so yes. hard. And, uh, you know, I was talking to a friend recently about just the lessons that God wanted to teach us through, through this pandemic and the lessons we learned and the lessons we are still struggling to learn that God wants to yeah. teach us. But how do we intentionally stop, slow down, slow down and ask ourselves that really important question every day? Yeah. I love that question because, you know, so many of us, and we've been talking about all the ways that we rehash the past, but I think so many of us, what was so hard about the pandemic was, um, all of the rehearsing of the future, right. And, And all of the, the worry and the anxiety about, what is to come. And um, so we created all of these fictitious realities, these not yets, mm-hmm. and we pulled them into our now. Mm-hmm. And these not yets, we made worse than what we were living through. And I, I think that's really the the crux of what anxiety and worry is, is, mm-hmm. is living in that not yet that's mm-hmm. worse than your now. It's, um, it's, it's rehearsing a, a possible future that you don't even realize is out of the realm of your control. Mm-hmm. And I think that was so high and heightened at the pandemic mm. or, or walking through the pandemic. And for me, I, you know, when I wrote this book through the pandemic, um, and so it was like, we write what we need. <laughs> Mm. I like yeah. to say that this yeah. this book wrote me before I wrote this book. Um, and um, I had to really learn how to make peace with what is mm. and good. bring loving acceptance to the now. Yeah. And that actually is a healthy place to be able to view my past mm-hmm. through the lens of, are, are there some patterns that I need to pay attention to and view the future 
through the lens of, are there some healthy plans that I need to put in place as I move forward? Yeah. But so many of us, we, we dance with the past and the future in such, such a reactionary um, way that we're not, we're not actually accepting what is. We're just constantly reacting to what was and our what ifs. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of what God invites us into is will we let God be our ever-present help in yeah. times of trouble? Yes. And I think every time we leave the present moment, we essentially say, I'm going to be the ever-present help in trouble. And I'm not very good at being an ever-present help. (laughs) And um, so accepting who we are, accepting who God is, and and really being at peace with that. Um, I love the story in the Old Testament where, you know, Moses goes to God and is like, I'm so done with these people. Mm. These people, I, I'm over yep. leading them. I do yep. not want to lead them anymore. They grumble, they complain. They're constantly talking about the past and they're basically worrying only about the future, right? I mean, yep. he's, he's yep. basically like, they have this problem, God. And I love that God says to Moses, Moses, when you leave this place, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Hmm. And Moses responds to God and says, great, because if your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want to go. And there's something in that moment that I believe Moses recognizes. And that is presence surpasses plans. Hmm. It surpasses even God's promises. Mm -hmm. It is, it is the only thing that allows us to experience the fullness of God. Yeah. And I know what's true in my life is that a lot of my prayers have to do with God. I'd really love for you to start sending me an email each morning <laughs> with the exact plans as to how the day is going to go. Right. Or it would God, be so would, easy to do that. It would be yeah. so easy. Right. Or God, I would really appreciate if these four promises that you mentioned you will do, if you would make sure that you do them tomorrow, right? I talk to God a lot about plans and promises. And I started to realize that it is the presence of God. When the presence of God is with us, it is the plans start to fall away. Mm -hmm. I I don't Mm -hmm. become nearly as concerned about what's going to happen tomorrow in two weeks from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, because the presence of God is here with me in the here and now. And God's going to give me everything that I need for all of that to unfold. You have so many great liners, one-liners in this book too, Jeannie. (laughs) I was like underlining everything. And I love, okay, so two that I absolutely loved when you talked about worry, and it just so segues into what you were just saying. Worry seeps away today's happiness by rehearsing tomorrow's headaches. But I, and I also love this. Jesus drew people out of their not yet moments and into their now moments. It's so crucial. Exactly what you're saying about just yeah. being present, being fully there. That's where Jesus met everybody at. I think about right. the woman at the well. Yes. She was in that now moment. Yes, you're exactly right, Maggie. 
and uh, not thinking about the future. And then she went and shared with others what she had just experienced then with Jesus. Yes, yes. The power of that, of being present. You talk about slowing down, Mm. um, solitude, silence as well. So important, again, you know, as we were talking about just the noise of of life, just being able to carve that out. Um, Yeah, there's just so much there. I want to move on because we're running out of time and I have so many more questions for you. (laughs) But um, uh, you talk about our favorite word here. Yes. (laughs) On page 125. And you kind of have this... um, uh, you work out, um, uh, I'll just read it to you, hold the evidence. So the H is hold the evidence. Uh, e is express uh, your emotions. R is your body's uh, message. And E is edit the limiting belief. Uh, talk to me about that as we as we wrap up and how important that is in, again, being present, being here, about holding that evidence of what you are and what you have been through and expressing those emotions as well. And, uh, and the, you know, the power of our bodies as well in that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I just, it moved me so much as I read it. Yeah. Well, I, I was so grateful to God for that acrostic Acrostic. That's what it is. Acrostic. uh, I was trying to remember the name. I just, um, I struggle to remember things. So, um, you know, in the process of writing that I was like, I need something that I can really draw upon to welcome me here, right? Yeah. Um, and and I I juxtapose it with, um, and I I believe it comes out of the chapter on denial, where you know yes. many of us we deny the here, um, yes. and we live in the past or we um, live in the future, and. And when we're not here, we're dismissing all the evidence of what God is trying to actually teach us in this now moment. We escape our emotions. Um, we neglect all the signals that our body is sending to us. And we just say yes to every single limiting belief that we have. And so to draw back into the present moment, we actually have to hold the evidence of what is. Mm. And you know, this is really, really powerful, especially when the evidence points to a here that you don't want to be in. You know, it's one thing if your here is rainbows, unicorns, and butterflies, right? Yeah. Um, which, let's be honest, is not everybody's life. There, there's probably something about <laughs> your here that you wish were different or, mm. or you wish... Uh, could could have a shift or a change, right? Mm-hmm. And not holding the evidence of what is uh, turns you into a reactionary player to your own story versus actually consenting and saying, I really wish this were different, mm-hmm. but I'm accepting that this is what is here right yeah. now. Um and, and God, I receive and accept this now moment as it is. Mm. Um, I'm going to express exactly what my emotions are about that. And, and sometimes it's, I'm sad. I'm upset. I, I wish this was different. I'm angry. Um, but I express those in a healthy way. I, I listen to what my body is saying. Um, yeah. 
And, and then I bring good edits to my limiting beliefs. I felt this last week, Maggie, I'll, I'll do this in real time, um, Mm -hmm. after the shooting in Texas Mm -hmm. and, um, and I'm an activator. And so Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to get to solutions. Right. And it was so hard for me to actually practice this, what I wrote. And yet I decided, okay, I'm going to be here with what is what's here. I'm going to hold the evidence. Oh God, my heart is broken for Mm. these 19 children and their families and these two teachers and this community. And how did we get to this place? God, I hold the evidence of this is not what it is meant to be. Mm. And I express my emotions of sadness and of rage and of anger and um, of fear. I receive my body's message that there's literally a like vibration of um, fear running through my body right now, God. Um, How do I talk to my kids about this? How do I send them to school tomorrow? Um, And then editing the limiting belief because my my first places were no place is safe. Mm. Um, Well, is that really true? Is that really true? Let me bring some edit to that. Mm. That, that, isn't, that isn't true. Um, there's lots of places that are safe. But right now, there are some places that feel really scary. Let's name it as that. But not all the places yeah. are, are unsafe. And, you know, I had to do that work myself and, and bring myself here in the now moment. And it gave me a a groundedness to talk to my kids. Mm -hmm. It gave me a groundedness to talk to our church. It gave me a groundedness to even discern and go, okay, what we need to make some changes for this Sunday. We need to lament and we need to, um, view how we're going to approach what we had had planned differently for this Sunday. But if I was just doing that from a reactionary space, I wouldn't have been able to do that with wisdom. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the future. It's facing truth. It is. And, and silencing the lies and everything that's circling around in our heads and and facing the truth and saying, okay, what, what is true in this circumstance? Yeah. What is real? Yes. I want to end our time, Jeannie. It's coming to an end on belonging. And I want to read uh, page 242, part of that. I learned in the wilderness that I had all the permission I ever needed to choose me. No one would come on a secret rescue mission to get me to leave the old country. I had to be courageous enough to leave it on my own. I had to find the bravery already living inside me to love myself fully and fiercely because I was worthy of belonging. Mm. At the end of the day, all of us just want to feel like we belong. We want to have that sense of belonging. Yeah. Talk to me about the power of that as we really sink into, again, the presence of who we are, not the lies, not all of the things that are telling us that we don't belong in this space. 
but that we do, that we have a space here, that a space has been carved out specifically for Jeannie, specifically Mm -hmm. for Maggie, that we belong here. Yeah. 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 I knew that that was a really important chapter to end with. Um, And I, I really, really tried to authentically talk about that to find that space of belonging, you often travel some wilderness to get there. And I I didn't want to um, just write a a beautiful chapter that did not authentically paint the reality that to eclipse uh, the need for approval, control, and security, which is Mm -hmm. the thing that all of us (laughs) Mm -hmm. from when we are little are questing for, right? Do you approve of me? You know, can I control this situation here? And am I safe? Uh, These are the things before we really can even say words um, we're looking for. Mm -hmm. And God invites us to find that in the process of belonging to God, Mm -hmm. learning to belong to ourselves, and then learning to belong to one another. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I actually open up that chapter with a quote from Mother Teresa. And, um, you know, one of the things that she says is, if we have no peace, it's because we've forgotten that we belong to each other. And um, I think that's why so many of us are so hungry for peace right now, because we can feel the palpable distance of not belonging to one another. Um, And you know, so much of, of that comes back to really knowing you're loved, mm-hmm. the acceptance of I am loved. And for me and my story, that was very easy to receive from God. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot harder to receive from myself. You know, that was, that was my growth edge was really learning how to belong to myself and have that self-acceptance and love. Because when we can belong to God well and we can belong to ourselves, oh, it's so easy for me to to literally jump on this Zoom call with you mm-hmm. and feel belonging even though we've never met. Mm-hmm. But if I was looking for approval, control, and security from you yeah. throughout this last hour, our conversation wouldn't be filled with, with fruit and with flow yeah. and with connection, right? I'd be looking to you to give me something that I never can get from you. Mm. I can only get that from God. And I can only receive that through knowing that I I belong to God myself. And then I can experience Mm. that belonging with one another. And it is a powerful gift to be with another human being that finds their belonging first from God and then Mm. from themselves. Yeah. It is just an incredible, incredible gift. And I think that's what people are hungry for in their relationships with one another. Um, Because when we go looking for all of that approval, control, and security from each other, we come up short every single time, every single time. Um, And yeah, when I say the sentence, I had to find the bravery already living inside me and love myself fully and fiercely because I was worthy of belonging. Mm -hmm. And that worthiness comes from God. Um, and you know, living at peace with that, Oh, there's like a, 
that's beyond confidence. That's yeah. contentedness. Yeah. That is full contentedness. And only can come from him. Yeah. Amen. Oh my Amen. goodness. Thank you. Thank oh, you, Jeannie. For yes. first of all, thank you for this book. What's here now? How to stop rehashing the past and rehearsing the future and start receiving the present. Again, you can get this wherever books are sold. I so enjoyed our time mm. and so enjoyed this book. And again, I, I just feel like it's exactly what I needed for this time in my life. Um, thank you for challenging us to really ask ourselves this question, what's here now every day, yeah. and to live in the present and to know that we belong to Jesus and that's yes. all that's important. Yes. Thank you again. Oh, thank you. And you are a deep, rich soul. So it is oh. a delight, delight thank to you. talk with you. Thank you so much for having me on and such a blessing to be with your listeners today. Here is brought to you by MJ Media Coaching. Let's make your story shine. Are you an author who is in need of some media coaching? Maybe you have an interview coming up and you need some tips from a professional, what to say, and more importantly, what not to say, what to wear, and how to capture an audience. MJ Media Coaching is here to help. Or are you a podcaster looking to brush up on your interviewing style? MJ Media will help you get to know your audience and speak directly to them. Check out www.mjm.coach for more details. And if you mention that you heard this ad, you will get 5% off your first consultation session. It's Black Girl Chat time and Roxanne Francis is back. Hey, Roxanne. Hey, Maggie. How's it going? Good. You heard my conversation with Jeannie Stevens. Some yes. initial thoughts? I think she is a really in-touch woman, a really smart woman. She um, has an awareness about her, which I think is really, really amazing that a lot of people don't have. And so I think it's a really good call to just check in with yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When we talk about like she, you know, the name of her book again is what what's here now. And I think about just being very introspective and as you said aware of yourself and mm -hmm. as a psychotherapist how like talk about the importance of people just being aware of their presence like what is actually happening now because I think we're always thinking about like five steps ahead especially mm -hmm. as women or mm -hmm. or we're you know holding on to a lot of pain from the past yeah. and so we can't move forward which is essentially what yeah. Jeannie is saying how do yeah. you actually ground yourself so yeah. talk to me about how, how, you know, how you journey with people through that and maybe some ways that you do that personally. Yeah, for sure. I, it, it's one of the reasons I really enjoyed your chat with her. Um, a lot of times, a lot of the stress that people feel and particularly anxiety comes from that tension between where we are now and what could happen in the future, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we worry about the thing that could happen and we're not here. We yeah. are so far ahead. And in other cases, we are really caught up with the thing that's happened in the past and wondering how it might impact the future or it prevents us from being here in the present. And, you know, depending on what the challenge is with people, um, a lot of therapists use a lot of grounding uh, techniques hmm. with people. There's the um, one that's really popular with therapists, which it's called 54321. So if you are a person who 
you can't bring your mind to the present if you are prone to things like panic attacks or you're really anxious about the next thing. Um, we bring you back into the present, into the room by asking you, what are five things in the room that you can see? Mm. What are four things that you can touch? What are three things that you can hear? Um, what are two things that you can smell? And what's one sensation or, or, or thing that you can taste in your mouth or in the back of your throat, mm. right? And it, it, especially those last two, it really causes you to, to think about where you are, right? So it takes you away from worrying about what could happen or worrying about what did happen and it brings you to the present. Yeah, I love that. Um, some things I do with people as well is uh, I get them to spell their name backwards. Oh. And just doing that, it takes just a little bit of concentration, not a whole yeah, lot, yeah. but just enough to bring you into right where you are. Yeah. Um, you know, put it, putting your feet on the floor and, you know, what does that feel like? Right. Mm -hmm. um, even what Jeannie had said about uh, being aware of how your body feels. And she was doing mm -hmm. a little bit of a body scan. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel some tension in my shoulders. You know, I feel some soreness in my feet. These are things that we often don't think about because we're so caught up in doing all the other things, mm -hmm. doing for people or worrying about what if, you know, those what if questions. Um, I'm always talking to people about replacing the if and the what if with is. Oh. So people always say, you know, you know, what if I don't have enough money? What if I get into a car accident? You know, what if we get sick? And I will say to them, okay, well, what do you know to be true right now? What is true for you mm -hmm. right now? Well, right now, I know, I know I have enough money to put gas in my car and go to the grocery store. Okay. So we don't have to worry about next week Yeah. because you know what is true for you right now. Yeah. Right. I'm, I worry that I'm going to get into a car accident. Well, what is true? What is true is that I have a pretty good driving record. What is mm -hmm. true is that I've never gotten to an accident on the highway. What is true is that I've never been pulled over. Like all these things, mm -hmm. you really have to focus on your current reality. Yeah. Because when you worry about what could happen in the future, it runs away with you and you become an anxious mess. Yeah. So, you know, we are both people of faith and I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm thinking about scripture, right? Like, yes, yes. You know, clearly <laughs> this comes from God. It's like, yes. you know, it, clearly in the New Testament talks about not worrying about tomorrow, yes. not worrying about what we're wearing, that if yes. God can clothe the lilies of the field, he can take yes. care of us. And I, I think, yeah, like how important that is or even the lord's prayer where god says give me this day my daily bread daily, thinking about daily, daily. and yeah. asking for your daily portion just to take care yeah. of you at that moment yeah wow yeah that's that's really yeah really really helpful anything else that stood up before we move on um just you know just listening to her it's so funny um many of us who are in in my field of therapy you know Many of us are kind of do as I say and not as I do yeah. type people. Yeah. And so, although I do have some really good friends who are awesome at this, um, it, for me, it's still a work in progress. And so I am, you know, I find that when my kids were younger, I was more mindful with them because I was in a different place in, in my career. Mm -hmm. And now they're a little bit older, they're a little bit more independent. And my mind is always on some other thing that I need to get done, yeah. right? And so, you know, I really enjoy with them um, my evening after work is finished, mm. um, whether it's bath time or bedtime or whatever it is, but I put my phone away and I really just focus in on them. And it's, it's, it's that time of my day where I, I can be most 
mindful mm-hmm. and I really do have to sort of call because our minds run away with us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sometimes people will say, Oh, I can't do that. You know, I'm always, and I always say, listen, let's approach it without judgment. Mm-hmm. Our minds are going to do the thing, but just notice it and say, oh, okay, I see you running away with the thing, but I'm going to call you back here. Yeah. Right. We don't have to say, Oh, I can't do this. I am awful at this. Or let's just not label it. Let's just say, oh, okay. Yep. I see this happening and we're just going to come back. Yeah. Right. I think the example of the kids is so important um, because, yeah, they grow up so fast mm-hmm. and it all can become such a blur. And I, you know, I talk about in the interview how looking back at pictures of our youngest and thinking, when did that happen? It just, you know, it feels like <laughs> such a blur. And was I fully present? And I think as, you know, I talk about, all this, I sometimes feel like I'm I'm giving this impression that I'm like, 70 or 80 years old. Um, But I always say when I'm now that I'm older, but now that I am older, I feel like, yeah, this, like I'm more conscious of, I really do need to be present in these moments because I'm going to blink again and they're going to be out of, out of the house and moving on. And, um, and I want to make sure that these days count and it just doesn't feel like a blur you know, mm-hmm. that their whole childhood doesn't feel like a blur. <laughs> um, mind you, when I talk to my mom and I'll say, do you remember when she was a child? I don't remember any of that. So, I, you know, <laughs> at some point I'll probably say that to my children, but yep. We're um, just doing our best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another thing that has really caught your attention, we're going to move on from the great conversation I had with Jeannie is something that's happening close to home in your school board that you uh, send your kids to, that you are watching and paying very close attention to. Um, And yeah, would love to talk about that. Saw some of your Instagram posts and it's at Francis Psychotherapy on Instagram if you want to follow Roxanne. But you got a, a little heated (laughs) uh this week that we're recording this will be a little while before our friends hear it but it's an ongoing story so tell us yeah Yeah. so I was um I was in in a waiting room somewhere and one of my friends alerted me to uh, uh an article in the paper that said you know where I live my kids go um attend uh the catholic board and where I live the board um you know, they have been developing this anti-Black racism policy mm. and it had gone through a couple of readings and they had gotten to the third and what seemed like the final reading where it wasn't going to any longer be amended. And they had taken out a lot of the uh, grounding and salient words and paragraphs out of the policy. So they were removing terms like anti-Black racism. They were removing terms mm. like diversity, colonialism, multiculturalism, intersectionality. Okay, so All just so that people. I understand this correctly, they have an anti-racism <laughs> policy that they're yep. creating, but they yep. want to take out the term anti-racism from the yes. anti-racism policy. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, I... I <laughs> Again, I'm a work in progress. I tend to, I, I try to think before I act. Sometimes I, you know, I, I try to catch up with my actions and I immediately got really hot because my children, my, my son is 10. He's in grade five. He's gone through kindergarten and all of grade one to five without a teacher that looks like him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're navigating that alone, mm-hmm. right? only to hear about this policy and that the, the, the board of trustees have, you know, changed the, the, the nature of this policy. 
um, leaving my children and other children without a sense of safety. Mm. And so I got really mad and I screenshotted a whole bunch of things and I, I just put it on Instagram and I tagged them and I asked them, you know, is this where we are in 2022? Mm. And then I went over on Twitter and I did the same thing. And then I put it in my stories and I tagged them. And in pretty short form, they responded mm. and said, uh, feel free to um, contact or, or human rights person at this number. Mm. I got really annoyed. Mm. And I thought, you know, why would you, I don't, I just got really annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> and then I thought, you know, I'm, I'm just going to call this number and see what happens. And I called the number and at first I got voicemail. And so I went back into my stories and I said to the board, Hey, I called you and I got voicemail. So mm. let's figure this out. And uh, in the voicemail, I had left my phone number and about five minutes after my latest story, they called, this person called me back hmm. and said that um, he missed my call because he was in an interview, sorry, he was in a meeting uh, as they were trying to strategize around how to deal with my Instagram post. Interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> and so by this time, a number of people had seen the post and they were sharing it mm. and um, expressing their disgust and their dismay and their disappointment and their anger. Yeah. And so uh, the person that I spoke to was actually quite lovely. Uh, he explained to me the whole process because I hadn't been going to all these board meetings. And, um, you know, he said, you know, this isn't the final, final thing. It, it will come up for a review again in September, but the board did not want to leave um, the equity deserving members without a policy in place. So they decided that you know since after the so the, the the policy goes through three readings and after the second reading they received a flurry of um electronic communication from people in the community hmm. um who were uncomfortable with the language interesting and so they took it upon themselves to amend the document to remove this language that was making people uncomfortable and you know i said to him he shared some dates with me and the first reading was in march of last year the second reading was in May of last year. The third reading was on the 9th of this year. And uh -huh. I said to him, the 9th you know, of, of 2022. Okay. And I said to him, you know, the board is, is apparently so worried that, um, the board, the, the, the families and children who live in this region will not have an anti-racism policy. And so you decided to do this instead of wait an extra two, three months for the fall where we could address it properly. Mm. It seems to me that this isn't really about the, the, the constituents or the equity deserving members in the board. It seems like the board does not want to be caught with egg on its face without having something to say, you know, we're doing something. Yeah. What does equity, what did he say? Equity? Equity deserving members. What does that mean? Did he explain? I would imagine, and he did not explain, but I took that to mean, um, individuals in the board who are not white, individuals in the board who are who are, are marginalized for whatever reason. Okay. Um, so is he saying those people were the ones that were upset with the terminology? No. Oh, no okay. No. Okay. Okay. And so, you know, I, I thanked him for his time and I told him that what he said to me was, I, I said, thank you. I really appreciate it, but this is insufficient. Yeah. And we, we demand change now. And um, I'm not going to be silent. And by this time, you know, a lot of leaders in the community started reaching out to me. My DMs were blowing up with mm -hmm. people who said, you know, we're having these meetings. You should come. 
you know, can I get your email address? We want you and, you know, and I have other, um, you know, I do some work in, in the diversity space and there are other people in the area who are doing work behind the scenes, who are um, having meetings with um, other officials and are asking if I would come to the table. And, you know, I am happy to do so. And, you know, so that was, I think, on Wednesday afternoon at around five o'clock. By 7.30, they put out a statement hmm. saying that they are aware that people have concerns and this is, um, this is why they've made the, you know, trying to explain. Hmm. And uh, first of all, I, am, I will say, you know, it's not, it's not sufficient. Hmm. But the other thing that I will say for people who are listening is that I want them to know that their voice matters. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be a big, important person, but you do. If, if there is something going on that you find is unjust, that you find a way, a safe way to speak up about it so that people know that you are not pleased. Mm. And, um, you know, so I've been in talks with some other people and this isn't over. By the next day, they uh, uh, they put out some kind of, an, I put it in air quotes, a quote unquote apology, mm. um, you know, and they were quoting scripture, you know, oh. saying when, when one person hurts, everyone hurts. Mm. And, um, but again, they're not suggesting that they're going to change anything. Oh, interesting. And yeah. so it's still insufficient, mm. you know, when I have, uh, black children in this board who are not represented in the classroom, that they're not represented by administration, then we need to have a policy that supports them. Yeah. We need to have a policy that protects any injustice that might come their way. And right now the policy doesn't. And they're suggesting that we wait until like October or November. And I, I, I'm not having that. And, and I'm it, willing to shout from the rooftops until things change. <laughs> and it sounds like there wasn't enough representation of no. BIPOC, you know, people within that space when yeah. they were having these hearings or these conversations, because if they did, then maybe the outcome would be different. Um, yeah. And, and it's one of the things that bothers me, you know, um, all of the trustees in this board are white hmm. and, you know, I have nothing against, so I have lots of white people in my life that are, mm -hmm. I think are just phenomenal, but the, the board has to be mindful that when they are creating an anti-racist, racism policy mm -hmm. that is su supposed to support um, uh, individuals of color in the board, but all of the decision makers are white. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's not a recipe for success. Yeah. Our so, world, our, uh, they need to change it. Yeah. Our world perspective is very different. Right. And exactly. so what might seem as okay for, uh, you know, our white brothers or sisters is not necessarily the, going to be the same for us who actually right. live in the skin and actually deal with racism on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Well, we'll be following thank you for that story. In. Yeah. That. Wow. Yeah. No, I, I hear you and I would be just as inflamed and upset if, uh, now I'm going to be looking into my board and seeing what their <laughs> policy is. You have me, you have me wondering here. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks again, Roxanne, for another black no, girl chat. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Anytime. I, I look for these talks now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you for checking out here with me, Maggie John. I want to thank Jeannie Stevens and Roxanne Francis for joining me today. Check out our Instagram page here with Maggie for more great content. We are all on a journey. Let's learn from each other. A new episode drops the 19th of every month. Hope to see you here next time.